Well, today we're continuing our verse-by-verse teaching series through the book of Acts, and we're on chapter 18, so we're almost there. I think there's 28 chapters in Acts. We are starting to see the end of, of the light at the end of the tunnel. This is a big book, and we're very ambitious, but we're making good progress. So in chapter 18, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He recently left his companions in Berea, and then he traveled by himself to Athens, where he preached to philosophers and intellectuals at the great Mars Hill, the Areopagus, this, this meeting site of philosophers. And, and, and some people there received the gospel, which is good, and some of them did not, unfortunately. But let's just go ahead and dive right into Acts chapter 18, starting with verse 1. Here we go. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Before we move on, let's just take a quick look at our map. So Corinth is over here west of Athens, just a little hop over to the west. Corinth was a major city in the Roman Empire. Paul is traveling without Silas and Timothy at this point. Uh, Corinth was a very important trade center with access to Sea of Crete, Mediterranean Sea. And uh, it was also notorious for hedonism and sexual immorality. It was kind of like the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. Uh, it was well known. In, in classical Greek, the phrase, act like a Corinthian, was a reference to fornication. And then the phrase Corinthian companion was a reference about prostitution. So much of this immorality in Corinth, it stemmed from their worship of the Greek goddess Aphrodite, this fake goddess of fertility, false god. And then Paul would later write at least two letters that we know of. Some scholars think there might have been a third or a fourth letter to the Corinthian church, but we have two letters to the Corinthian church from Paul. And a large focus of both of those letters is these issues within the church of sexual immorality. So it was a, a recurring theme, a big problem in Corinth. Anyway, Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla. There were Jews that were exiled from the city of Rome, as all the Jews were, because there was a rebellion and there were riots going on in the Jewish ghetto. Uh, and so there was a decree to banish all of the Jews from the city. And so Aquila and Priscilla go to Corinth and where they meet Paul. And Aquila and Priscilla would become very important ministry partners for Paul. Let's read on. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So we learned something interesting about Paul here. He had a side job as a tent maker. He knew a trade, which happened to be the same trade as Aquila and Priscilla making tents. You know, today, you might hear this term tent making in the context of ministry uh, to describe a pastor or a missionary that takes on a side job to help support themselves financially. And that's incredible, right? I have so much respect for any pastor or missionary who's bivocational, I mean, I've been bivocational for almost five years now. As Patrick mentioned, I've been working at the uh, Catholic high school, and uh, my official last day was last Friday. Woohoo! Um, 
and the church is bringing me on full time as of this week, which I'm really excited about. Um, but I just have so much respect for bivocational pastors and missionaries because I know how hard it can be. I mean, five years was enough to just almost completely wear me out. <laughs> you know, many of these bivocational pastors and missionaries that are working almost constantly either for the church and, and their other side job. You know, but Paul was also clear in 1 Corinthians 9, ministers do have the right to receive financial rep- support from those they minister to. And Paul did receive significant financial support from these churches that, that he uh, visited. And yet, I think the important thing here is that Paul worked hard as a tent maker so that no one could say that he's just trying to get rich, that he's just in it for the money. That was the important part. Paul saying, no, I can work with my hands. I'm, I'm not so great that I can't, you know, get, get my hands dirty and make some tents. You know, maybe it's not coincidence that <laughs> this week is the week we've arrived at this tent-making passage. I think that's really funny. Um, I, I do have some loose ends that I got to tie up at the high school in a couple weeks, um, but I'm really excited to be full-time for this church. It's been a dream for years. Yeah, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You know, I, I don't take it for granted that the church has taken us on and supporting us full-time. Uh, we're so thankful, Biz and I, and um, this opportunity is not going to be wasted. You know, the last few weeks have been really exciting for me. Like, my mind just will not turn off. <laughs> I'm just getting so many ideas about what I can do with all this time that I'm going to have now, and so many ideas for ministry and service and outreach and in ways that I can be a better pastor to each one of you. And uh, so my mind is just on overdrive. I'm just genuinely excited to put this time to good use. So thank you for the investment. I'm excited to put it to work. But, you know, some people have said, Mo, don't overwork yourself. Don't worry. I'm going to set boundaries for myself. I'm not going to overwork myself. You're start taking a day off now? Yes. Two, actually. I'm going to work five days a week like normal people. Uh, yeah. Amen. I am going to have boundaries. I'm going to make sure that I have time to take care of myself and my family, time for my wife and my kids. You know, a pastor friend of mine sent me a text a while back. He said he's praying for a church, and he said something that really stuck with me. He said, the best is yet to come. And, of course, it reminded me of that old crooner song, the best is yet to come, oh, pippy pa. Who, who sings that? Anybody know? That's not Sinatra? Okay. Probably. <laughs> Frank's like, come on, man. You should know this. The best is yet to come. And when I read that, it just like really hit me. It just felt like a message from the Lord. And I believe it. I believe that for our church, for Bay Area Vineyard Church, the best is yet to come. If we continue to seek the Lord as we have been, if we continue to prioritize prayer and worship and serving our community, you know, if we truly make this a house of the Lord, I believe God's going to bless us. Anyway, back to Paul. Aquila and Priscilla. Here's verse five. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. 
From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Wow. So <laughs> these are some strong words from Paul, and we'll get to that in a bit. But first, yay, the gang is finally back together. Silas and Timothy arrive from Macedonia. And we actually know from a few of Paul's letters, it's not mentioned here in Acts, but we know from Paul's letters that he's written uh, about two other things that have happened here in this moment. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul writes that Timothy brought him good news of the great faith in the church in Thessalonica. So that's really encouraging. And also Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Silas and Timothy brought financial support from Macedonia, the region of Macedonia, all those churches there, put together an offering to bless Paul and Timothy and Silas and to support their ministry, the work they were doing. And this allowed Paul to put his tent-making tools away and focus entirely on ministry. I mean, is this just the weirdest coincidence that, that we're on Acts chapter 18, the week that I go full-time? I think maybe God's trying to say something. I don't know. It says in that verse, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying that Jesus was the Messiah. And, but unfortunately, the Jews at the synagogue in Corinth were not receptive. In fact, they were abusive and blasphemous, it says. So what did Paul do? He's done what he does. You know, he does this in every city. He goes to the synagogues first. He preaches the gospel. And if he's not received, he goes to the Gentiles in the city. And I think there's an important lesson here for us. Yes, you know, the gospel message of Jesus is for everyone, and we should share the gospel of Jesus with everyone. But if someone is determined to reject Jesus, we need to move on, just as Paul has done here. And we can always pray for those people that God would soften their hearts and that God would send somebody else and that God would open a door. But if a person or a group of people has vehemently denied Jesus, it's time to move on. Let's not waste our time. Let's not waste our breath. This is a truth in Scripture. We need to surrender that person to God and say, they're in your hands, Lord. And we need to go share Jesus with somebody else who might be more receptive. You know, verse 6, it says that Paul shook off his clothes. He shook out his clothes. So we talked a little bit before about what it means to shake the dust off your feet. It's kind of a condemnation of a place. Like you don't want even one speck of, of dust on your shoes from that city that has rejected God. And so Paul's going above and beyond. He's even shaking off his clothes. I don't want any of, of the dust of this Corinthian synagogue on my clothes. I don't want to be associated with you at all. Not even one speck of dust. Pretty powerful from Paul there. You know, and there are times I think God might call us to shake the dust off of our feet or shake our clothes. You know, if, if, our, if we're associated with something that God does not want us to be associated with, there are times he might call us to shake the dust off of our feet and move on. So let's listen for the voice of the Lord. Let's be obedient to what he's doing. Sometimes he might call us to shake the dust off of our feet and leave. Make sure it's the Lord, though. <laughs> Conflict resolution is important. All right, let's move on. Verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Eustus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Now, this is cool. Even though Paul 
was rejected by the synagogue at large. Paul didn't give up on all of the Jews in Corinth. In fact, Crispus, the synagogue leader, must have come to him, and Crispus and his entire household gave their lives to Jesus. What a name, huh? Crispus. <laughs> Write that one down for, for uh, future baby names. Crispus. I mean, it's, <laughs> it sounds like a, a mascot for a cookie company. You're like, does anyone know what the Keebler elf guy's name is? His name should be Crispus. That's a great, okay. Anyway, verse nine. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Wow. A year and a half. So I think God had a special calling for this city, Corinth. I mean, how many Christians would be like, oh man, that place is foul. God is so far from that place. Why would we bother? It'd be like going to Vegas for a missions trip. That place is foul. Why would we go there? But God had a special calling over this city. It was such a major city in the Roman Empire. I think there was some kingdom strategy here. I mean, what a win for the kingdom to have a healthy, thriving church in this crossroads city, Corinth. And Paul had the support of many Christians here as the Lord revealed to him in a vision. He had financial support coming in from Macedonia. So his time in in Corinth would be a major stop on this second missionary journey. Big commitment from him. Uh, And just for some context, Paul's first missionary journey, that lasted a little more than a year. The whole journey, all those stops that he made, a little more than a year. Uh, And then he spent about a year in Antioch recovering after that. So a year and a half in Corinth, that's a really, really big investment. And in this vision, God says to Paul, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Maybe some of us need to hear that from the Lord today. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. Do not be afraid. God is with you. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's weird to think about Paul being afraid because he's become such a Bible hero for us today, right? Oh, that's the Apostle Paul. He's amazing. He's incredible. Paul was still human. We have to remember that. Paul was just a man. Paul made mistakes. Paul had an argument with Barnabas. But God comforts and strengthens Paul with this vision. He says, don't be afraid. Keep preaching. I'm with you. Let's read on. Verse 12. While Gallio was, excuse me, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. 
But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern, whatever. Wow. Brutal. I mean, it's a tough job being the synagogue leader in Corinth, apparently. I mean, it's safe to assume that Crispus was removed as synagogue leader. Hopefully he started a new career as a cookie maker or something. Uh, So Crispus accepted Jesus, and so the synagogue wanted him gone. And now this new guy, this poor Sosthenes, is getting beaten by an angry mob in front of the Roman authority who was just, whatever, do what you want. You know, it's not clear why the the crowd turned against Sosthenes. Maybe Sosthenes ran his mouth a little too much. Maybe it's just plain and simple anti-Semitism. There was a lot of anti-Semitism, hatred towards the Jews in the Roman Empire in the first century. You know, whatever the case, it does appear that the Roman proconsul disliked the Jews more than he disliked Paul. (laughs) So God has granted favor to Paul here. Remember, he said, do not be afraid. I am with you. Here's the evidence. God is with Paul. God granted Paul favor. You know, Paul didn't even need to defend himself. This was a a major step towards the the legitimacy of of the Christian faith being recognized in the Roman Empire. You know, because a lot of these cities have been bringing Paul to the authorities saying he's preaching Jesus, which is against Caesar's decrees. But here, Gallio, this proconsul, is saying, I don't care. That doesn't really matter. He just waved off this whole case. And so it sets a legal precedent in the future. If Gallio would have ruled against Paul, it would have made it a lot more difficult for Paul and others to do any kind of ministry in the entire Roman Empire. So this was clearly the favor of the Lord working here. Interestingly enough, Paul does mention Asosthenes in his letter to the Corinthians. And he calls him a brother. So it's possible that Sosthenes, after surviving this horrible beating, later became a follower of Jesus. So that's great. I mean, what? that is one heck of a come-to-Jesus moment. <laughs> Getting beat in a public court. Whew. Let's read on. Verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed... He had his hair cut off at Sencrie because of a vow he had taken. Now, there's something interesting to note here that could be easy to miss. When we were first introduced to Aquila and Priscilla, they were listed in the order that is considered customary for that culture and time, husband first, Aquila, followed by the wife, Priscilla. That was very much standard for the culture of the time in Jewish culture and Roman culture. However, here, Luke lists Priscilla first, and scholars have noticed this. And then Luke does this again at the end of this chapter. And then in many of Paul's writings, he lists Priscilla first, then Aquila. And this is unusual enough to be noteworthy, that four out of the six times that this couple are mentioned, 
Priscilla is listed first. And scholars have debated this, and some scholars understand this to, to mean that Priscilla was probably the more prominent leader in the church at Corinth, similar to Lydia in the church in Philippi. It's possible that Aquila focused more on the business, the tent-making business. Perhaps Priscilla was more involved in the church and the ministry, hosting gatherings. You know, other scholars have also suggested that maybe Priscilla was related to the Prisca family, which was a well-known, wealthy Roman family, well-known in the first century. Very interesting. And this verse also tells us that Paul had completed a vow and he was ready to cut off his hair. So pretty much everybody agrees this was most definitely the Nazarite vow that you can read about in Numbers chapter 6. There were some devout Jews would take on the Nazarite vow, a temporary vow where you forsake wine, you forsake grapes, any fruit of the vine. You give up haircuts for a while so you don't cut your hair. And then they remain pure by staying away from dead animals and dead bodies. And this was just a way to consecrate themselves to God for a special task. Kind of like today when we say, God, I'm going to fast for a week and pray. Jews could also take on a Nazarite vow, sort of as a spiritual discipline. So it seems that Paul had completed his vow, and he was ready to cut his hair in Sincrie. And this actually reveals a lot for us about Paul. I mean, Paul was a Jew. He was a Pharisee to begin with, and he trained under Gamaliel, this legendary rabbi. And then Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, and Paul became a Christian. First and foremost, he became a servant of Jesus. But then Paul didn't cease to be a Jew. He was a Jewish Christian. And he still followed some of these traditional Jewish practices, like the Nazarite vow, like we just read here. And yet, I think Paul probably confused a lot of people because he was very clear in his teachings that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. Gentiles do not need to take on the burden of Old Testament law. <laughs> and yet, Paul is still practicing the Nazarite vow. Paul would, was so clear, we only need Jesus to be saved. And Paul still showed his love for his Jewish brothers and sisters. Every city he went to, he would go to the synagogues first and share to his Jewish brothers and sisters. And then he would reach out to the Gentiles. So even as some Jews rejected the gospel over and over again, sometimes painfully, sometimes violently, Paul never gave up on them. Verse 19. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined, but as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. Spoiler, Paul does go back to Ephesus in the very next chapter. <laughs> we'll get to that in a week or two. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. So we've got a couple things happening in these two verses. Upon arriving in Antioch, Paul has completed his second missionary journey. So there's one more missionary journey, and then Paul travels to Rome in the book of Acts. So we are coming to the end of this story, but let's take a look at our map again. 
So from Corinth, he travels to Ephesus. That's where he leaves Priscilla and Aquila. And then he travels all the way down here to Caesarea, drops down to Jerusalem to say hi to the other apostles, and then all the way back to Antioch where he started, home base. And it's interesting in, in the text it says he went down to Antioch, and it's talking about elevation there. On a map, he clearly goes up. He goes north to Antioch. But in terms of elevation, Jerusalem had a high elevation of 2,500 feet, almost half a mile. And Antioch is only 220 feet, so it was a lot closer to sea level. Uh, so Paul traveled up on the map, but he traveled down in terms of elevation to Antioch. And then verse 23 gives us a brief summary of Paul's next third missionary journey, which we're going to read in more detail starting in chapter 19. So this is going to be a good stopping point for us today.